Hello, babies. I don't know if that's annoying that I'm calling you babies. I'm so sorry. I'm Liam Garrow. Welcome to Tell Me Everything. In case you've not tuned in before, I'm just going to give you a real quick nuts and bolts of what this whole show is about. Basically, I'm a nerd and I'm a geek, but my fixation is art and pop culture. And I have this sense that other people sort of in and around my world are very similarly wired. And so what I want to do is give them this whole platform to basically come on and nerd out about anyone and anything that they love in pop culture. So nothing's off the table. We love a high-low moment, whether we're talking about like a prestige performance in an Oscar-winning film or a completely chaotic moment from reality TV. I really do want to hear it all. And each week I'm going to be bringing you a fabulous new guest where they're going to come on with three things that they absolutely cannot stop talking about. And I want them to tell me everything about it. On this week's show, this fabulous episode of Tell Me Everything, we have actually, this is novel. This is really breaking ground because this is a real doubleheader we've got here. We have Paul F. Tompkins and Janie Haddad Tompkins, two very funny performers and writers who have lent their talents to projects like BoJack Horseman and Night Court. And you've maybe seen them on a little something called Comedy Bang Bang, in case you're one of like the billions of people who have subscribed and seen that show. And together, I want to tell you, they also have an incredible podcast that they started during the pandemic. It's called Stay F. Homekins. You can find it wherever podcasts are available. Make sure to tune in to find their Substack, which we'll talk about a little bit later at the show. But for the time being, let's get right to it. This is a fabulous episode, and I'm thrilled to be chatting with them. This is Paul F. Tompkins and Janie Haddad Tompkins. Oh, babes. See, now this is the thing. I, and we said this off mic and I have to, I really need to be mindful of tempering this because I was saying this to Paul, which is, I have a problem that has plagued me my whole life, which is that I'm so certain upon talking to someone whom I enjoy, which both of you fall into this category. I'm so certain that I know them. And even I will say, Janie, you and I exchanged but one Twitter DM like a week or so ago. Yeah. And I had to, I had to really hold it in to not just be like so how's your day going like as though as though like as though i have any right to that information as though you're as though you're the, as though your private life is any of my business but that's so charming i condone all of it well and i was saying to paul this really this cuts both ways people are either on board or they're not and to mm-hmm. the people who are not all i can say is this i completely understand yeah i really do yeah yeah, I completely yeah. understand. Now, listen, th- we're in a bit of a time machine right now because we are recording this now at the top of July, basically. And then this will sort of make its way out into the world later on in the fall. But I want to ask, because we now are sort of in this present moment where we are still sort of steadfast in the throes of a writer strike in, you know, Hollywood, L.A., across the United States. And so I'm just curious to know how is strike life treating you both? How are we doing? What's the what's the sort of emotional climate, if you will? I um, mean... I, for yeah. me, I'm just trying to keep busy doing other things. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a, um, I'm, I'm in the WGA, but I am emeritus status, which means that I am still allowed to pay dues, but I have no privileges. Um, what a great system. Exactly. I just have <laughs> bragging rights. <laughs> mm, yeah. Bragging rights that you're just paying into the hole. This is good. Yeah. So I am, uh, I am, for me, it's like, 
any jobs that come up are usually like VO jobs. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm before everyone, I'm panicking. Like, is this, do I have to turn this down? Is this crossing a picket line? And so far, none of them have been thanks to the, the terrible way that uh, animation is treated in, uh, in show business. <laughs> No kidding. My my favorite thing about animation in Hollywood is how they're like, we understand that it's written, but we just are not willing to actually acknowledge it in any sort of legally binding way. Yeah. It's written for drawings. That can't count. Real people? Not on my watch. Yeah. Janie, how are you doing? Because I saw a picture of you like striking. Mm -hmm. Not for nothing. You look terrific. <laughs> Thank you. I, wow. I know that's not the. I know that. I know that's not the point of striking. But you were there, and I think I seem to recall you had nice big sunglasses on with a hat, and I thought Jenny looks great. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. The strike oh. becomes her. <laughs> mm. Well, <laughs> um, well, I'm what's known as pre WGA, um, but I. I call it. So that makes you better than Paul, right? That makes yeah, you better than Paul. Kind of, yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm pre WGA, but I like to call it aspiring WGA. It's just like because it, it like defines it a little bit better. And got it. Um, you know, and both Paul and I are in SAG-AFTRA, and I mean, we're basically holding our breath to hear if we are joining the writers on the picket line on um, midnight on the twelfth. And I, oh, I shit. predict that we will because it's I looking so that way, way. The tea leaves are sort of being read as like, "Hey, guys, uh, get ready." And what times are you available to picket? Yeah. Like that's been yeah. like the emails that have gone out and I'm like, okay. Right. This... It's not a matter of if, but when will you be there? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, right. Um, but as far as like acting and stuff, like I haven't had like an audition since May. So even, so even the writers, I know they like did like a whole apparently stockpiled um, scripts to work through the strike, but it hasn't trickled down to the rank and file <laughs> actors in, mm -hmm. that I know or myself. Um, and honestly, I'm starting to doubt that that has been easy for them, the studios, because I just haven't heard much. I mean, I basically all of Los Angeles is pretty, um, like they say production is they pretty much have shut it down. Yeah. Like there have hardly been any permits right. or anything. And the studios like, there's no one coming and going to the studios that I've been at the picket for. Mm -hmm. So I find it very demoralizing, exhausting, and worrisome in an <laughs> existential way. Well, kind of, you know, and on that note, no, but do you know what it is? Do you want to know what I think is kind of interesting? I was having this conversation with someone recently where I was like, and this is sort of in the thread of what you're talking about, where I was like, it's so strange in this moment in time to simultaneously be people who have been wired and conditioned to strive for and want things, mm -hmm. but then also have this very pr like clear prescient sense that like, Oh, so like the planet's going to blow up though. Yeah. yeah I know. You know what I mean? Like, like this is just like, like how, the time how do you we're in kind of, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. It's just a strange era. Don't you agree? I mean, I mean well, from, from the time yes. machine, I hope that people are hearing this in the fall and I hope there is still, uh, in America. <laughs> By then, I hope Listen, that too. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this, and I realize again the overt familiarity. I realize we've exchanged but a few words, but I want to tell you, if this shit does hit the fan, I will sponsor you both if you want to move to Canada. <laughs> oh my gosh! That's very I'm generous. Taking Liam. you up on Thank that. Thank you. <laughs> Let me explain Canada in a nutshell. It's like America, but if it worked. 
<laughs> okay, I'm I'm down. I mean, yeah. I, I'll, most I'll, I have a lot of close friends are Canadian, so I'm totally on board. And for, just for the hell of it, you guys, when you come to Canada, if you just come to Canada, let's just go to a hospital just for shits and giggles because they won't even oh, charge man. you. I'll I'll go up there and break my leg on purpose so I can go to the hospital. Yeah, and you should. <laughs> And you should listen. They're going to be slow to operate. That's unfortunately the trade-off. But once they do, not a not a dime out of your pocket. Right. Not exactly. one red cent out of your pocket. And also, that doesn't apply anymore because we discontinued the penny. Go ahead, Janie. Um, well, will they? I can I get my eyelids done there uh, on their dime? Oh, yeah. Like, can I just be like, no, they're really like I need them because when I'm eighty, I won't be able to see underneath them. So may as well do them now. Diva, if you can. If you have a doctor to be like, listen, no, it is medical. They'll be like, okay, well then we need to operate today. Okay, well, both my parents have had to have it have it done, so I feel like I can. So it's prove. genetic. Yeah, I can it's prove genetic. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not unlike a cancer. You're like, listen, I already know there's the history there, so <laughs> mm -hmm. I need to get it on the ground floor. I yep. just want it done now, so I can sort of enjoy the benefits of having it done before I'm in like assisted living. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, you know, and this is very vintage Hollywood, but remember, and I don't mean like facelifts now, but remember when everyone got, if they had the intel, they did the good facelift when they were 45. Right. Mm -hmm. And yes. it kind of just carried them their whole yeah. lives. Yeah, and then you're like kind of like, oh, wow, you kind of just look fresh your whole life. And it's like, well, yeah. let me tell you why. <laughs> It's because they pinned my ears to the back of my skull. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. N now, listen, I we have got some really good stuff to get into because, of course, as you both know, you have been you. This is the only show where guests are required to do homework, which I'm sorry to say, but that is just true. <laughs> and you have both been tasked with each individually and also collectively bringing in sort of your favorite pop culture person event show moment right mm -hmm. sort of the thing that you feel has really kind of helped you inspire inform right things that things that have really sort of taken up a real spot in your life and i have to tell you and i'm not just saying this to pump your tires these are some good ones <laughs> these are really some good ones and i want to say that when you when i was briefed especially with one of them my jaw dropped and i screamed I screamed out loud in my home alone. I, and I'll let you I know. I bet I know which one it is. <laughs> I bet you know which one it is. But I want to start, Janie, I want to start with yours because, oh. first of all, you and I share this in common. And Paul, I wonder if you're sort of of this echelon or this sort of, if you're cut from this cloth, mm. you're a true crime fan. I'm a true crime junkie, yes. And I'm not Ex just like, yes. I'm not new to the party. Like this has okay. been an obsession for me since high school. That is very. It's true. not like you look right. It's not like you listened to an episode of My Favorite Murder and you were like, "Yeah, me too." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like I, right. I've read all this stuff like since I was a teenager. So yeah, well, I'm fascinated by that because I have to tell you, for as much as I am a an enjoyer of true crime, I will say it did find me later. So what do you think? Do you think you could distill sort of a where that interest began and also why. Because I think to be 16 and sort of that have such a clear focus on something that is and can be quite morbid is very interesting to me. So where where did that all sort of germinate for you? Well, that's a good question. Um, uh, I don't... Well, I read a lot of Stephen King when I was a teenager, which is fictional, of a course. A gateway drug. Yes. A gateway drug, yes. yes. But, so there was sort of like... Um, like um, an exposure to horrific things. And, um, I also kind of grew up with a lot, like, 
um, an unhealthy, because <laughs> I can tell you now that I'm middle-aged, an unhealthy sense of justice, like justice existing or like yes. kind of like, and because, um, cause I, it's like me and my older brother and we'd always have to get like the same things and it, you know, like at Christmas, it's like, well, it's not fair. He gets to stay out late, but I don't, you know, like, like just like right. justice, like I wanted, right. I wanted balance in the universe and, um, what, like, I, I just, I don't know, like, I, and also, I don't know, I grew up, I'm a Gen X person. And so I grew up reading like Helter Skelter and Fatal Vision and like every Anne Rule book and like Truman Capote. And I, I don't know, I just, I don't know if it was like in the zeitgeist sort of as a counterculture interest back then. Mm. And I just caught on to it. Well, where did you grow up? I grew up mostly in South Carolina, in Charleston, South Carolina. Was there like a crime that took place when you were younger that sort of like maybe even in your hometown that sort of sparked your awareness of like, wait, what's going on? Yes. there. Well, A Fatal Vision, specifically the book Fatal Vision, which was about the Jeffrey McDonald case, was not in South Carolina, oh. but in North Carolina in Fort Bragg. And okay. it was like... This copycat case where he murdered his entire family and then stabbed himself like, uh, like, uh, like a paper cut and pretended like hippies like came in and 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 wrote the word pig on the wall like like and the and there was like an actual acid is groovy. At, there was an actual <laughs> magazine open to like the Manson murders in at the crime scene. And I I think like that was like, but he has like maintained his innocence to this day. And there have been like camps, like there have been so much published and written about this particular case. Like even to this day, it's fascinating, but um, hmm. he's still in jail and like he, he, I mean, he did it. So <laughs> you're like, and the point is that, he is guilty. He did, yeah. so, but it's also like yeah. fascinating to me, like on a psychological level of like weird, spooky crimes of like people invading your home and being in a scary place, quiet southern well, town or something. <laughs> this is a rough statistic, but I did read this thing a few years ago, which is that apparently women are disproportionately more invested and interested in true crime than men because men only psychologically in a lot of ways have one way in with true crime so that when they are hearing about a crime, when they're reading about it or watching it, they on a cerebral level have a kind of point of co connection and empathy with the person perpetuating the crime because usually that person is male. Wow. But for women, they have it with the person perpetuating the crime and the victim. Oh, interesting. You know what? I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, because women, I mean, we move through space, like kind of like planning, like the crime that will happen, like how to avoid the crime that will happen on us. Yeah, correct. I you mean, know? like I will never forget. Uh, I had a neighbor. This is not leading to something more, but I swear to God, but I had a friend who was a neighbor and she was, by the way, I like if she took her time a 10 minute walk from me. And I remember she was leaving my apartment. It was like 10 30 or something. And she was calling herself a cab. And I was like, Jen you're a 10 minute walk away. This was many years ago, but I was like, why are you taking a cab? And she's like, because it's dark and I'm a woman by myself. And I was like, got it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. It's, say no more. It's chilling that I, I just assumed that the attraction for women in true crime, why so many of them are into it is because of that 
fear that they have to live with every day. But I had not heard the part about the men identifying with the perpetuators of the crime. And that's scary. Yeah. Well, because I think it's like, because even just I think like at a very base, again, this is all very rough back of brain information. But I think even at a very sort of like gender level, they're like, I am a man. There's the man. Yeah. I can connect to the man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of as simple as that. But which is why I have to say I am delighted by your pick here. Miss Janie, because you brought in the Murdoch murders. I did. Which I have to say, so I did a real, I was, I was very peripherally aware. I had a sense of, I had, I knew, I remember when these crimes were sort of becoming a story initially and I did the deep dive and I watched all three episodes of that Netflix show Uh yesterday. (laughs) Could not tear me away from that goddamn screen. For over a century, the Murdochs were law and order here in the 14th Circuit. The family was under increasing amount of stress. They didn't seem real at the time. The double homicides of Maggie and Paul really changed everything. I think this may very well be related to the death of Mallory Beach. What was the motivation other than revenge? There are facts that don't add up and bodies tied to this family. Why don't you, because I feel like you really understand the bones of this. First of all, is this something, Paul, is this something that you both watched together? Yeah. I, you know, I, Janie had, (laughs) Janie had been updating me about this case. Like as it went on, cause she, she was in it from the, she was into it from the beginning, from the podcast and from uh, Mm -hmm. just like scouring. Janie, Janie is great at research. And if she's interested in something, she will absolutely throw herself into it 1000%. And she she yes. scours every corner of the internet for information. Um, any available, uh, uh, you know, video, uh, documentary uh, that are out there, she will absolutely watch. And this case in particular was so, because we have a connection to South Carolina and because it was just so, so insane crazy um absolutely i got into it and watching it all was just you know you can't it's one of those things where i felt like well you can't help but get sucked into this because once you see when we're watching the trial like you're looking at people's reactions you're looking at the defendants you're looking at the prosecutors uh of course you get into it you know oh, yeah. you, you form your own judgment to the trial because i yeah. did get all the way into and like watch the trial <laughs> yeah well why don't we give people though an overview because in the event that people should not be familiar we should say that this case actually sort of threads back to 2015 because there was a gentleman who at the time was a teenager named Paul Mm -hmm. Murdoch, son of, it's funny, he goes by Alec, even though his actual name is Alex. Yeah, Alec Murdoch. He he was a, Paul was a very troubled teen, drank copiously, had, um, as we learned from people that knew him, very physically abusive tendencies. And I suppose what took place one night on a boat was that he had been drinking heavily, was the one driving the boat, got into a horrible accident that de- did result in the fatality of um, a one uh, a, a young woman whose name I believe Ma- is Mallory. Mallory was Beach. That yes. Mallory Beach. And so from there, there becomes, this is like the seed of this sort of incredible, horrible tree that then sprouted out of the ground that had so many so branches many and then becomes this- Like the crimes well, like so- never ended. <laughs> Never ended. And also that there, this is such a strange encapsulation of how power helps you cover your tracks, how Mm -hmm. power and money helps sort of, at least at the short term, can help you buy your way out of certain things that would 
otherwise proved to be a real problem. I mean, one of the most standout things to me even was that, and I don't think I'm misremembering this in the 24 hours since I watched it last, but that I don't think Paul was even held in jail while there was any conversation around no. uh, initially, like right after the, right after the boating accident, he was just immediately allowed to go home, even though the Intel was pretty clear from the jump that he was the one behind the wheel. Yes. So, so the, oh, the quick overview is, and all of this sort of like kind of unfurled, like during the big COVID lockdowns, because yes, it, did. Um, it centered on this powerful, wealthy, um, family that was very entrenched in sort of the good old boy justice system of this right. county. Generation after generation of like big time, big money lawyer. Yeah, like, yes, like yes, yes. solicitor, AG, whatever. And um, that, that so uh, the way that all of this kind of came to my attention was this um, someone murdered Alec Murdoch, he's the patriarch of the family, his son and wife on their property in cold blood. And then you find out that Paul, who was murdered, had been embroiled in this boating accident. And this young woman, a regional journalist, Mandy Matney, she started this podcast and I just started listening to it at the time called The Murdoch Murder, The Murdoch Family Murders, I believe. And so I was just like kind of, this is why this was an interesting true crime thing to me as well, because it all unfurled in real time. Right. As opposed to like, oh, I'm reading Helter Skelter. I wasn't alive when Charles Manson did, did all this stuff, right. but it's like right. spooky and weird, you know. And so um, everyone immediately who like this kind of hit like a national news thread of like who murdered this person's family on their property in cold blood. It must have had to do with this boating accident because the because because Paul was being held responsible criminally for it like a like a wrongful death kind of kind of thing and so and the boyfriend was very upset understandably so he watched his girlfriend die at the hands of this idiot i should say tried well no he was an idiot i'm gonna say this addict and i message yeah well yes but as a person who also has like a real history with like addicts who behave that way i was like so done with paul from like go i was like same. Uh, not that I Same. wanted him to die, but I was like, I hope he does fall off that boat. I did want it. Like, I just wanted him to be like a little hurt. Or like accountable in some, <laughs> or, or, or like, yes. yes. And so, so this whole thing sort of unfolded where uh, it turned out just to kind of make a very, very long story short, uh, that not only uh, had the hit, the family been murdered on the, on the property, but there were also other suspicious deaths had, that had nothing to do with the boating accident or, or or this murder that surrounded this family. And then you find out they, like Alec Murdoch, was uh, stealing millions and millions of dollars from his own law firm and his clients for many, and many also, years. And also, I believe... Uh, and committing insurance unlawful- fraud. Yeah. And yes, because he he had unlawful possession of his housekeepers in life insurance money. Yes, yes. Insurance- and she... And she also like mysteriously died while on the premises of their home. On the property. And I believe. Yeah. Correct. Yes. And he, under the auspices of helping her sons collect. Okay. Pause. What a great use of the word auspices. Okay. Can we just like, (laughs) 
Like, I'm sorry, but that does warrant a jazz snap. That's a jazz snap. I mean, oh my God. Okay, Janie, go ahead. I wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> under the under the auspices of, of helping mm. her sons, one of which is like special needs, apparently, he uh did this sort of like three card insurance Monty to get the money and they never saw a dime of the money. Not one cent. And then you kind of if you go like even deeper, like past the podcast into like old news stories, you find out the property that he was living on where he murders his own family. And Gloria Satterfield, the housekeeper, died in this insurance scheme. It was purchased for like a dollar from a known drug trafficker. And there was a defunct private plane runway on the property and it butted up to like the intercoastal waterway and there's like there is speculation that there may have been like drug trafficking like generational drug trafficking and lawyering that the family had engaged in and so there's a lot we still do not know or understand about this man who committed all these crimes in this like kind of bad seed family. Mm. I look at it as like, you know, these like rich kind of bad seed families like that have like, like the Gettys or like you hear about like weird, like, or the hammer family where there's like weird sadistic sexual, like, well, it kind of reminded me also of like, yeah. It also reminded me of the Trumps, frankly. Absolutely. Like the, this is, like, yeah, I feel like this is the perfect Trump era crime. There's yes. so many that idea of just this this generational wealth, these ignorant people, um, people trying to save their own skin at all costs. You know, and it grifting. just feels the yeah, grifting. And grifting. Yes, yeah. and, and grifting. grifting. Yeah, it just it's it's perfect for that for that time um, and that and and this that time in America. This time in America. And that- well, this is the other really th- big thing is just that is exactly true is as I was watching it, I was thinking, OK, so this would have been approximately between 2015, 2020, 2021. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was thinking like, wow. So that was before there was any real indictment then of Trump, which was what so many people were like wanting and craving. Yes. And then here, weirdly, there was like this certainly on a much more micro scale, but still very, very serious uh, crime taking place with this family. But who was finally sort of being you know, um, held accountable. And there, I did just have this feeling of like, wow, how nice that would have been for this other guy who, of course, you know, now, I mean, hopefully we will see die in jail, but I mean, you know, it's, uh, I, that was the first thought I had. That was the first little comparison that I definitely pinged for me. Well, that's why I think I got very wrapped up in it as well, because it was sort of this symbolic, Thing of like the good old boy system being sort of dismantled or or not even just dismantled, but exposed. You know what I mean? Right. Like right. sunlight being shot. That's what the podcast about it always would talk about, like sunlight is the best disinfectant kind of thing. And here we are in this era of like Me Too and Time's Up or whatever, all the all the stuff of like men and power structural structures and patriarchal systems that cause suffering except to the chosen few, right? Right. Like to me, it got like it got into all of that. Like, I, I don't know. I just got like obsessed. Like, I watched the trial and everything. Like I set my alarm. Yeah. 
Oh my God, I love that. Well, this is also the, an interesting thread to pick up on though, because for the two of you, I'm curious to know, and Janie, you touched on this a little bit, and so Paul kind of, I'll lob the ball in your court here, which is that how much of the interest of what's at play, particularly as it relates to true crime, is also rooted in trying to understand the psychology of what you think might then motivate someone to do something? Mm. Wow. I mean, when it comes to something like this, it's so, the, the lengths that this guy went to, to just save his own skin is not even his family his His. not even his family his his his. right right it's unfathomable and it's it's really to to think that there are that there exist people like that in the world is so scary it's Mm -hmm. so terrifying and that you know the people that knew him i'm sure even the people that knew he was a piece of shit wouldn't have gone so far as to say, yeah, I could see him murdering his own wife and son. You know what I mean? Right. Well, no, like, he that's... had like a, a a pleasant face to the community. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. People right. thought he was just like an affable, like they yeah. would, you know, uh, give enough to charity to make it look like they weren't, yeah. you, you know, selfish people or whatever. It's sort of like you forget that people like that are not necessarily going to be so obvious that somebody who is capable of pure evil like that is not necessarily going to be someone that breaks into a house or, you know, is a serial killer who does it because they're compelled to do it. Like this guy had a purely selfish motivation to do this that in his mind made sense. Like it made, it it was like, well, here's what I got to do, you know? And that's just, it, 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 it's continually so, I mean, the word is just chilling that there are people that exist like that in the world. Well, and really, it's interesting, you know, we when, you know, I was, I, I suppose, jokingly, although not jokingly, being harsh about Paul, but I mean, you know, what is true is that I think there are very real mental and emotional problems plaguing this family also. Mm-hmm. And then particularly when you're looking at an individual like Alec, what seems so abundantly clear to me, and obviously this is a very armchair diagnosis, but I think that we are working not even with someone who has narcissistic tendencies, but someone who legitimately has a type A narcissistic personality disorder, right? Yeah. Because that is also such a marker of those people, not that they are murderous, but this idea that they act strictly out of self-interest and that also they have this um, very calculated measure of charm that they can really sort of endow onto a situation in the interest of getting something that they want, right? It's about, it's about trying to procure something. It's not just about, it's not about being pleasant for pleasant sake, right? Yeah. It's, this, it's this ongoing game of status agency and how do I build myself up, 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 up these other people be damned. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so that's what I also found interesting. And that's also when you, then when you meet people in the real world who might have some sliding scale then of narcissism, which is of course <laughs> so prevalent in our industry where uh, you're like, Oh, yeah. well, there's no, there's no way that someone would behave. You know, th- there's no way that they would make demands before uh, these kinds of demands before they walk into a film set. And you're like, Oh no, wait, but they're mentally ill. Yeah. yeah. Like, like these they are, may like even these have like, a, are, like right. a brain, like, like I just, I wish we would become more scientifically advanced to study these types of personalities so that we mm-hmm. could either like be able to identify them in society. I mean, like and intervene before some like bad things happen. It's almost like you wish you had the minority report technology where yeah. it's like you could sort of anticipate when the shit was going to hit the fan. So you could jump in and say like, no, you know, you're not pushing this person in front of the train or you're not going to do X, Y, Z, whatever the yeah, thing yeah. is, right? 
Um, or you it's, could know, it's you in, could know it's from, from, from birth, like you could scan a brain and say, you have a, this, this child has a dangerous tendency. We know from this part of the brain, if this a is right, lights right. up red, yeah. we right. know that right. there's danger there's here. Something. And then maybe there's something you can do to prevent something bad from happening down the line. I mean, yeah. because the thing is, yes. the mental illness aspect of it is very important because we, when we don't like people like that. We want to even not before they before they become full blown murderers. Um, yes, when no, they yes, just yes, seem yes. like a rich piece of shit or whatever, you want to tell yourself, but they're they're secretly miserable. And the the truth is, they're not. They're not secretly no. miserable. You know, they have something wrong with their brains. Right. You want to no? You almost want. I want to pick up off what you said because it's almost like. It's almost like, you know, when um, when lifeguards are testing the chlorine levels in a pool, yeah. it's like you wish you could do that. But with like with the inside of like someone's brain yeah. juice, you're like, yeah. bad news. This came back dark purple. We have to throw this. We have to we have to throw this test away. We, and we need to like we need to like intervene medically because yeah. we want this baby to be OK. We need yeah. more chlorine in this one. Your brain must yeah, be drained. Go, <laughs> your brain must be drained. And I want to say and I think this might actually be a gorgeous segue to Paul, your <laughs> pop culture pick, because mm-hmm. if we're going to you know pick off the thread of science and the technological advancements of the world, if you will, you have brought something in that I now I have to say this to me. When, you, when I knew that this was your pick, it made so much sense. <laughs> Everything clicked into place right away. <laughs> you have brought in Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> a show that is, of course, comes to us via the BBC over there in England. Mm-hmm. Has like, granted there was like a stop start but with the show, but I mean that... Its legacy goes back something like fifty some odd years, does it not? Sixty. It goes back. It goes back to the sixties, right? Yeah. So <laughs> math tells me that that's a number. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, and I, I, I say I'll sixty because I know they're is. they're getting ready to celebrate their sixtieth anniversary this year, and so they've done all these these special, or it is their sixtieth year, and they've done all these special things and everything because it is, um, you know, it's such an institution, and uh, uh it's. It's a it's unique, I think, in that I don't know if there's any other show you can say this about that it is continued. It 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 was on from the sixties until the uh late eighties, I believe. And yeah. then it it got canceled. And then they picked it up in the early aughts and yes. maintained its continuity. So all the stuff, it was not a reboot. It was a continuation of that show. And they have, um, you know, connected the canon. It's all, it's all part of one thing. So they acknowledge that they, they, they did not, it's not like they, uh, they, they erased any of the previous history. Uh, although we get in later seasons, they sort of do, but they, okay, everybody, but they, <laughs> but they um, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's unique in that. I mean, there's been other shows that have done, uh, in recent years have done like, uh, sort of one-off, uh, you know, new seasons of a show that, uh, has been, you know, Party Down did it. Frasier, I guess, is doing it. Um, you know, a few things like that. One season reboot of Murphy Brown. That's right. That's right. I think Will and Grace, did they not do it too? They did. They went three years that reboot. Yeah. Yeah. But Doctor Who was the first one where they said, remember the show that was, has been off the air for, you know, almost 20 20 years? 15 years or whatever. Yeah. 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 Let's, we're just going to pick it up where not exactly where it left off but yeah 
mother's friend called Donna Noble. I had to wipe her memory to save her life. No! If she remembers me, she will die. So what happens next? The spaceship crashes right in front of her. It's like she's drawing us in. What the hell? We've got a bloody Martian in the shed! I don't know. Me, me. Oh, here we go again. I don't believe in destiny, but if destiny exists, then it is heading for Donna Noble. Maybe in the interest of people who aren't super familiar, because I have to say, I am not, I don't know the bones of the show yeah. maybe as well as you, you do. So even just at a very cursory level, explain the premise to people in case they aren't familiar. Sure. The character of the Doctor is uh, a Time Lord, which is a race of people from a planet called Gallifrey. And a long time ago, he um, stole a uh, a time uh, time and spaceship called the TARDIS um, and just went off to have adventures because he was bored on his home planet and didn't quite um, uh, jibe with all of their rules of non-intervention. Uh, and so he, he, you know, explores space and time with, uh, various friends over the years and gets into various adventures, still trying to keep on the side of not altering history, not changing events that have already happened, um, but doing good. Uh, and one of the interesting things about him is that, uh, or they, is that they can change their appearance, um, with, through something called regeneration, um, each Time Lord has this ability to, if their body wears down, gets in trouble on the brink of death, they can regenerate and they their appearance, they get a whole new body, a whole new face, um, but still they are the same person, but their personality changes. So this, and that's that's basically the the nutshell of the story. And, and, and Paul, would you blame Doctor Who for the advancement of AI technology? Would you say that's, they're really at the root of it? <laughs> if only they were trying I mean <laughs> uh, thankfully it's they have been uh, they have not they've they've still continued to cast human actors as the new as the new face of the doctor uh, we'll see yeah. how far that goes but um, yeah that is certainly that is certainly a worry I would hate to blame it on them but of course a case could be made well, here's what I what I do appreciate about the show, and then you can also both of you jump in if I, if I if I'm not totally on the marker about this. But I what I quite like about what I understand about the show is that there, for as much as it's like yes, a sci-fi show, and it's very sort of living in that universe. There's like a bit of, and I think maybe this is also maybe a nod to the fact that it also started in the '60s when this aesthetic and this energy maybe was a little more popular but this idea that it also in spite of it being a sci-fi show still has like a bit of old school razzle dazzle yes does absolutely. that make sense yeah for sure like, right like there, like there's it's a little bit like um we're we're a band of kids who are going to put on the best damn play this town's ever seen a little bit <laughs> yes for for and a the reason yeah yeah it's a show that had from the beginning uh a pretty small budget i think and they yes. did they did the best they could. And I'm watching this like your parents. They did the best they could. Um, yes. I'm I'm watching the show. I've I started it um was it 
last year, maybe the, earlier this year, I started watching it from the beginning because when I was first introduced to the show, it was in the um, early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. And uh, it was the fourth incarnation of the Doctor played by an actor named Tom Baker. And this okay. was the this was the heyday of the the classic series was that right. actor playing playing that role. And I just fell in love with it immediately. And then uh, they started, and they it would air on PBS. And then then they started airing the previous uh, Doctor, um, a guy named John Pertwee, and that was squarely in the '60s. There was a James Bond influence on the character. Um, and then it continued, uh, and then I was kind of watching it in close to real time. So we mm-hmm. the, the gap closed from when they would get the show from the BBC and air it on, on PBS. It, w- it would be like, I think, a year later or something like that. So um, – it was. I got to see the uh, the the macro of the series. This is how they do it. Um, but I'd never seen any of the original like black and white shows, and so going back and watching that, it is <laughs> it is kind of a miracle that the show caught on. It was it was a hit right. immediately um, because it well because also at the time that would have been the greatest thing anyone had ever seen. Yeah, I think no one had att- because it was it was shot three camera style. It was shot like a play, and I think it, it I could be wrong and I, I can't recall. I think it might have gone out live in its earliest incarnation. And I hope that's true. There was oh. a, there was like there's a lot of flubbed lines. There's a lot of you know cameras missing marks and things like that. Um, but the the germ of the story is the germ of the franchise is absolutely there. Um, it becomes cemented, I think, in the in the second season or the second incarnation of the Doctor, um, where they add a few more things to the lore. Um, and then by the time of the third, when they go into color and John Pertwee, uh, it is you you. All the pieces are in place of who this guy is with a few hmm. more to be added, but then then it's just deepening and exploring. Um, but the elements are all there. This is who this guy is. This is why he does these things. And this is how he goes about it. Um, there's a great strain of in the earlier episodes of uh, anti-military. Um, the doctor is a guy who does not carry a gun. He doesn't believe in any of that. He thinks war is stupid. He So when he is confronted with the military, he has to, cause he's, he's at one point exiled to earth by the time Lords. They're like, look, you do good things, but we're mad at you. You were going <laughs> to exile you to this planet. Um, so you can't, your, your spaceship will not be able to travel off of planet earth. Uh, and he has made, um, a special, um, uh, uh, agent of this uh, United Nations Intelligence Task Force. So he's just doing earthbound problems. Of course, while he's on Earth, a million different species of aliens <laughs> invade Earth and he has to deal with them. But he is constantly making fun of and condemning the military people that he is surrounded by in a not subtle way. Like, it's it's really I direct. I love that. It's great. Well, and I'm... Because, hang on. So... If they're clocking it, excuse me, if they're clocking in at their 60th anniversary, mm-hmm. so does this mean that they started in 1963? Yes, right after the Kennedy assassination. This was what I wanted to bring up yeah. and sort of ruminate over. Yeah. Because one, here's a little fun fact. I believe they actually delayed the first episode because that is correct. of the assassination, yes? Yes. Oh. I think it aired a week later. And also, I now I'm 
this I I'm I I'm embarrassed that I cannot remember the order of events, but you'll have to. It's because just blame it on me being Canadian. <laughs> who was who was assassinated first? Was it Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or was it um, JFK? Oh, JFK. JFK. Yeah. I I'm so curious to know if the shows because you pointed out you know this very sort of anti-military view, this anti you know not having a gun. I. I'd be so curious to know if an element of what you describe was in some ways informed by the fact that there had been these two very mm-hmm. prevalent cases of gun violence. Interesting. That's entirely and possible. If, and if that's why they, I mean, this is so speculative, yeah. but I wonder if that, it's, if that informed why they didn't want to do that. And this is actually a weird thing to correlate it to, but when, remember when um, Drew Barrymore and Cameron Diaz and Lucy Liu, they rebooted Charlie's Angels? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in that first one, I don't know if you can recall this, but they don't use guns. I do not oh, recall that. Interesting. And it's and it's all like kung fu fighting. And I mm-hmm. believe, if memory serves, the reason Drew Barrymore, because she was producing that movie, said she didn't want guns in the movies because this was off the heels of Columbine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She wanted, Drew. Yeah. And she wanted an action movie that was not predicated and centric to the gun, mm-hmm. like yes. we do in this country, which is so right. I, I would say. I wouldn't. I, I. I would. I would imagine that that had some fuel to it. But also, the best sci-fi is uh, morality tales. You know, it doesn't exist in a right. vacuum of right and wrong. It's about you know the uh, TV shows for sure. It's like that's how you sustain it. Is that these characters? It's not. It's just not enough for people to be going off and having adventures. There has to be something a little deeper there to keep you engaged in the characters week after week. And right. Doctor Who definitely falls into that. He is he they have a very um strict uh set of morals and and a lot of times what makes it interesting is when you come up against a gray area and it's like what do you do here um and you right. have to make a hard choice like that to me is the the best sci-fi star trek star wars you know it's like it's about it's about right and wrong and i'm not familiar but i believe that those things exist <laughs> I, I i haven't I can't I'm going to send you some links. <laughs> I can't oh, believe thanks. that they did not address the postponing of Doctor Who's premiere from the Kennedy assassination in The Crown on Netflix. And that is a historical <laughs> the, Doctor Who absolutely snubbed by The Crown. Not a single mention. Well, that would have been listen, an important and, part and, of the British... <laughs> Well, and every single person who works on The Crown is going to be the first to remind you that this is a uh, historical fiction That's and they right. just can't just get every detail. They true, can't true, true. get every detail right. True. Well, now, normally I would pose this question to you, but I actually I'm going to I'm going to endow something onto you and then you can let me know if it tracks or sure. not. Because the reason why I am not surprised that Doctor Who would speak to you so much is cuz I think you, Paul, have something that is so unusual especially for comedians now and if i may say especially straight male comedians now which is i think when you perform particularly in shows that you have a handle in sort of creating whether it's improv whether it's any variety show that you might do on stage whatever Mm -hmm. it is you have i think that kind of old school razzle dazzle in your work like for example and Janie I know you must love this because God knows it's an anomaly you are the only straight male comedian who doesn't look like garbage on stage and that is true Paul F. Tompkins is the only straight comedian I know 
who doesn't look like he just rolled out of bed and decided he was going to hold a microphone and, you know, yeah. espouse whatever bullshit worldview he has. Yeah, he's not wearing, he, like, a stained hoodie or, <laughs> like, a... Well, no, I, you are I, matching suit, <laughs> hair is brushed. Because you want to know something? The first time I was aware of you, because remember this thing that really went around with you in, like, the early aughts, you sang Skyfall on stage. Oh yeah, that's right. The, that was the, your the, first the, exposure. Was the Skyfall? That was my, video? Oh my god, that gosh. was my first exposure to oh, Paul. I love that. And <laughs> and I remember being like, because here's the thing. I just thought, oh my god. Obviously, there's this singer named Paul F. Tompkins who I've never heard of before. <laughs> <laughs> and then because you, I have to tell you something. You have a beautiful singing oh, voice, Paul. Thank you very much, Lima. Thank you. You do. Thank you. It's very croony and very lives in that <laughs> space and is perfect. Right? He could totally I, do an album. I can't, I tell him this because, and you, and you know what grinds Paul's gears is that Seth MacFarlane beat him to the comedian who does oh, right. old jazz standards. That's true. And I now, but I think if you had a really, here's, here's, here, here's what you just need a specific hook. And you know, what I think your hook is when you do record your standards album, it's Paul F. Tompkins does Linda Ronstadt does the standards. <gasps> if oh. you just recreate those three Nelson Riddle albums, I think that's, oh wow. that's, that's, that's money idea. in the bank. Wow. That's, That's a really money in the good bank. idea. Maybe <laughs> yeah. we should kickstart that. And I think instead of, okay, because her, her second record was called Lush Life mm. and yours should be called Lush Strife. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't I call it Let a Man Do It, Honey? Yeah. <laughs> in brackets, get back in the kitchen, dot, 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 coxagun. And then just um, kidding. And then, but then, and then just kidding just at the kidding. bottom. And then if just, just, JK, just some jokes, you guys. No, but I, but I remember being so struck by you because I was like, oh my God, here's this comedian who's on stage, who looks terrific, who obviously has a real sense of like, again, that old school, like, let's put on a show kind of thing. Yes. Do you feel like in some ways... Doctor Who sort of helped in some ways to instill that sensibility. Are you even aware of that or no? Oh, I think absolutely. I, I think that, you know, it's a very, it's a very flamboyant character. And mm -hmm. um, that is, that to me was definitely part of the charm is that this is somebody who goes around in a, in a very specific, strange outfit, um, just goes into any situation uh, with, um, you know, a brashness and a confidence and a, and a sense of humor. Um, that I really responded to. And I, I I definitely, I grew up in an era of, of show business where when I was watching TV, people dressed up to be on TV, you know, and right. I loved talk shows because it was not only the people that you love from your TV shows and movies, but here they are being themselves and, right. you know, telling jokes, telling stories, whatever. So, um, that was that to me was the imprint of what showbiz was that right. it was it was kind of what you what you had to do i didn't i didn't necessarily intellectualize it that much when i started out because it mm. was it was the um the well, kind of the order nature. of the it's day in your, it's in yeah it's yeah. A, it's in your it's in your cellular makeup yeah. at this point you're definitely not thinking looking about back it. i yeah. realized oh that was the influence and i i would not I would not doubt at all that Doctor Who was was an influence on me because I I loved it when I was a kid. Um, I I really really was into it. Like when I'm rewatching the stuff, the the muscle memory of those of, of there's a stretch of episodes where like I remember this so well. I know exactly what's going to happen next. I remember this line of dialogue. I remember what he does here. I remember what she does. Um, it was astonishing to me how well I remembered it. And I, it's not like I watched it. 
a million times over and over again. I Paul, it just yes, made you did. an imprint. Don't lie to us. Yes, you did. <laughs> well, that wasn't, but that wasn't a thing when you I was. Couldn't a even kid, do you know that. what I mean? Right, right. right so right. there were certain there were certain things. The other thing I had that with was and this. I found this out during the during quarantine because I appeared in a podcast having to talk about Godspell, the movie Godspell, which I saw when I was a little kid, and I had not <laughs> wow. seen it. I saw it once when I was a child. Saw it again as an adult a couple years ago. I could not believe how much it imprinted on my brain. Really? I re- oh see, my this God. is the thing about, this is the thing, and depending on when, like, when something gets you, mm-hmm. when you both agree, it's like, under the age of 10, it's like, you can't even believe, if you revisit whatever those things are, yeah. you cannot even believe the recall that you have with For it. For sure. Where you're just like, I didn't, you're like, I, I know what the next camera cut's going to be. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know exactly what, it's incredible. Yeah. We must move on to this. And now this is, I wanted to save this because this is your joint pull. And I want you to know this is her story in the making because this is the first ever joint pull we've had on the show. Oh, so, thank you. I mean, we, when I tell you that we are breaking ground, I mean, what's more important, civil rights or this, we'll never know. But at the end of the day, <laughs> history will decide. I mean, I, under, I understand, you know, my people, gay people were fighting for rights, but this is also, there's history happening on a podcast. What more can you possibly ask for? You know what I mean? That's yeah. Right. A gay man talking to a, mic, to a straight couple. A dream. But I want to say, I, I want to say. over Stonewall. <laughs> yeah, move. That's Marsha P. Johnson, could, Marsha P. Who? You could name that, your podcast that. Move over Stonewall. <laughs> move you could rename Stonewall. it. Yeah, rename it. Um, I can't, you know what? It's not too late for a rebrand. Yeah. But your joint pull is so delicious to me because you collectively, as a united front, mm-hmm. have brought in. We were alluding to reboots early, and this is earlier, and I think this is the one to really take the cake. Oh, yeah. You both have brought in, and I can't believe it, the reboot to Sex in the City and Just Like, and that. Just like that. Maybe the clunkiest title of anything that like has that. ever existed. And just trying to even work it into casual conversation. Yeah, I'm watching And Just Like That. And just oh, like okay. <laughs> so let's tell people in the event that they live under a rock. So, this, so we, of course, have a semblance of that this we're picking up with these characters yes. who have helped make up the sex in the city universe, minus the person that put the sex in Sex in the City. Sorry, Kim <laughs> Cattrall, wherever you are. Uh, yeah. But... This is, it's not totally a pickup because it's, we, we flash forward 11 years. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. it's the sex in the city stops. And then we're sort of arriving with these characters now in the first season in its present moment. <laughs> you don't move on because you're ready to. You move on because you've outgrown who you used to be. I've repurposed my kitchen. Did you know stoves aren't just for storage? I thought I was doing so well. I got through that whole first year. The way you've moved on, we're so proud of you. Life's too short not to try something new. Janie, let's start with you. <laughs> One, how dare you? And two, why, why, did, why this show for the both of you? Well, it just... Well, first of all, I am like a Sex in the City loyalist yes and which is which is why then i listen i'm not here i'm not here to judge but i will say i was surprised (laughs) i was surprised no but go on go on yes no well i lived in manhattan in my 20s when sex in the city became the phenomenon that it was 
Oh, that's delicious. I love that. So for me, it was like an important show and the characters were so important to me and my girlfriends. And so I kind of lived with sex in the city in like in real time. Uh, you know, being the phenomenon that it was and would go to the movies like on opening night with big groups of girls and like do the whole thing and everything. And so when and just like that happened, it, you know, when it came out last year, was it last year that it came out? Uh, we were like right? still yes. in like a lockdown yeah. feeling. Yeah. Still in lockdown yeah. feeling. Or- we were still like in a lot. Yeah. Like in a COVID fugue state, I feel like. So yeah, that checks out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, I had opinions about it and I felt very um, entitled to my opinions about it because of my loyalty to the show and the characters and the world and the phenomenon. So, Paul, Paul, were you in on the ground floor with Sex in the City when it was first on? Was that of interest to you? Do you know what? I was, even though the show was not necessarily aimed at me. Um, that was a kind good show is a good show. A good show is a, a good, good show. show is a and, good show. And it was around, that was kind of around the time that I had cable for the first time that I was, mm. I had just started working. I had, I had moved to LA pretty recently, had started working on um, a show called Mr. Show. And that was at that point, the most money I'd ever made in my life and I was like I can buy a new television and get cable and so having HBO whenever I wanted (laughs) was it was a novelty and so I watched I watched when they had just started making um like uh, had started hitting a stride with making TV shows and mm-hmm. sex in the city was one of their shows. And so I watched what was on HBO because there was a, a quality to it that uh, was different than network TV. And it's not, so, it's, it's that, not cable. Uh, it's HBO. It's not TV. It's HBO. Or, dear. It's not TV. Sorry. Oh my God. Cut this <laughs> out. Cut this TV. out. <laughs> no, cut it. No, honestly, guys, if you don't you mind, I actually think we should just like, we should just end the episode. Like, let's actually just go. I want to go. It's not even HBO anymore. Now it's Max. <laughs> it's not even exactly. Um, whole other bitter pill. Yeah, so I watched. Also, pill Paul, do you yeah. want to tell Liam why specifically we brought this today? Please. Well, we on a whim. <sighs> on a whim, we started watching the the new season of and just like that, and sure. on a whim, we decided mm-hmm. to do a watch along podcast on our Substack. Well, technically so, not a watch along, more of a recap. Not a watch along, a recap. Yeah. Sorry. So we, we watched decided the episode. to do some recapping yeah. uh, in in real time. Yeah, we watched the episode and then immediately start and then recording we immediately and just record our give our thoughts conversation about it. Yeah. About it. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the question then because especially, you know, Janie, if you're going to assert yourself as like a real sort of like die in the wool sex in the city fan i'm curious to know when the even when the announcement was made mm-hmm. that they were going to sort of return with the show but minus kim cattrall what's the what's the emotional temperature there are you excited are you nervous what's the vibe i i would say i was nervous because i already don't like that kim cattrall is not part of it i mean obviously yes. she is so um her character was so much a fabric of the of the tone of the show, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so that was a bummer. And I felt like the first season of And Just Like That was kind of a hot mess at Here, times. This is what I really 
struggled with. Mm -hmm. Because I think now that we're looking back on the original run of that show, the two characters whose social politics I think aged the best were Samantha's Mm -hmm. and Miranda's. Uh And here's what I could not understand, that they would have Miranda in season one, a brilliant lawyer who's lived in New York most of her adult life, all of a sudden act like she has no... Con- no concept of how to talk to a black person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like it just, no, we like thought nothing. the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Girls, what are we doing? And I like this whole thing of she runs into the teacher and then she's like, uh, <laughs> there's this whole back and forth that she's like, uh, she's like, oh, well, who are you? And then she's like, oh, well, I'm the teacher here. And then she's like, oh, I, I had no idea you were the teacher. And then she's like, and then of course they have to endow this, I'm sure, lovely actress with arms crossed being like, well, why wouldn't you think yeah. I was the teacher? Right. And yeah. then, <laughs> And the answer is because your hair is different in the staff syllabus photo and I didn't recognize you. That's why. They were like hermetically or not hermetically, cryogenically frozen for the 11 years. Like and then uh, thawed out in 2022. The thing that that makes this show (laughs) frustrating is that. And especially us being at the age that we're at, you know, because Mm. we've aged along with these characters (laughs) and it's like. There are certain there are certain issues that they have, like the thing you touched on. Carrie's a lot of Carrie stuff is like you're in your fifties. You you can't still be. <laughs> this is still bother. You don't know what to do here. You know what right. I mean? Like this is not. They're they're <laughs> so they're weird. trying to. It's real. You really can't have it both ways. And I think what people wanted from this show people who are fans of the show is not for them to be exactly the same as they were because the people who are fans of the show have also aged they want to see where are these people now and it's not just about it's not just about situationally it's about where are they emotionally Emotionally, now what what have they you know what have they yes yes what are the problems what are the problems that would yeah, yeah, what are the problems that that would affect you now? And a lot of it feels like, yeah, this would be a problem for somebody much younger than you, but it shouldn't be a problem for you now. Well, and I don't appreciate when I'm watching an adult show that also makes a rational uh, reaction look crazy just for the sake of a narrative device. Yes. Case in point, like when Che, played by the wonderful Sara Ramirez, when their character gives pot to Miranda's 17-year-old at this party. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's turning around looking at Miranda like, you're so uptight. I'm like, um, excuse me, this essentially <laughs> stranger just gave my child drugs. Yeah. Like, but but that she was, but that the Miranda character was so painted to be like, wow, mom. It's like, fuck you. Like yeah. I was so <laughs> yeah. livid for my Miranda. Cause I know this isn't a popular choice, but when we all play the game of which sex in the city girl are you? Mm-hmm. I always you're, pick Miranda, Miranda because her husband is hot. Listen, her husband is smoking hot and also she has a great career and she had the most money. And I think that's an incredible place to be in. Also, all of a sudden endowing poor Steve like he can't hear. I know that was kind of a bummer. Like they weren't nice to Steve. I also have like a weird thing about like the new season. And by the way, I'm going to watch every episode and I'm not just in it to like, you know, like tear it down or whatever. Like I just like I will forever live with this with these characters as being a part of. Of, yeah, you know, like I, a comic not, book or something. You know, we're not hate watching this show. You know, right? We're, but we're, we are we're reacting honestly to not, it. As we are reacting fa- to as it. Fans. Yeah. We're yeah, yeah, reacting yeah. to yes. it as fans of the show. Okay, I feel like they ha- are presenting sort of like be like being a woman of a certain age 
dating mm-hmm. in, in New York, which I guess they want to be the thrust of the show. Spoiler alert, they kill Mr. Big off like in the first five seconds of the whole thing. Well, since we all heard those stories about Chris Noth, no one's sorry, sorry yeah, to see him that, go. But I yeah, did not exactly. know about until after all that happened. And I was oh, like bummed out. Mm. Like the, the, okay, so 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 they killed him off so that they could have her be a single gal in the city again of a certain age. And they right. are like, they're not like realistically addressing, which I feel like they would have done in the OG Sex in the City, what it's like for a woman of a certain age's dating pool, like what that would be like. Right. Yeah. You know, a, well, a particular. It, oh, sorry, Liam. But but on a particular no, uh, thing about that is in the in the first season when Carrie goes on the date with the guy and they both end up throwing up on the street, oh, and yeah. then she he is was like, like a widow too, and yeah, yeah. she is mm. like she's creeped out by that, and it's like. If you're at that age and something like that happens, it's just funny. I'm sorry. I feel like that would be that would lead you to get married. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you that's your if you cute. both are throwing up, yeah. I'm like, no I'm like, that's your wedding speech. Are you kidding me? Like exactly. I knew when she was holding my hair, I was holding her hair. It was so yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I think, yeah, I I'm this is the big thing then is that what do you feel then like this current incarnation of the show? Cause I agree. I, I, I were joking, but I of course realized, you know, this is not a hate watch for you and you are loving it. What are you, what is the show like giving? What is it sort of like, what is it? What hole is it sort of like filling for you a little bit? The show? Well, I appreciate seeing women that age, like leading a show. And yes. I appreciate just being on TV, just being on TV and being able to be like, however goofy or kind of cartoony their mm-hmm. success feels like or what, you know, like being, you know, looked like being allowed to be sexual beings right. at that age, like that, like 100%. Yes. Love. Um, I still like the fantasy of it. I still like the, the, the fashions over the top. It's not like, it's not quite hitting the notes that the original one did for me with sort of like the mm-hmm. high low stuff. Well, they don't have Patricia Field anymore. No, I know. Yeah. And I th- it's a bummer. And and I feel like there are like the the designers are obviously doing a good job, but they're trying to like sort of mimic it feels to me like they're trying to mimic mm-hmm. like what mm-hmm. a Patricia Field eye would look like as opposed to just a whole new eye. Yeah. Maybe. Right. And it doesn't feel the same to me. Some of it feels forced yeah. design design wise. Right. Um, there, there is a little bit of you can't go home again about it, you know, with the fashion right. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, I don't know what else uh, I like. Well, I'm, I'm also friendship. I'm, the, the idea. Friend, I like fr- I like friendship. No, I know. I but, think uh, yeah. I, this, to me, that's that's the thing that I, I'm loving about the show is because I think. One of the things that that show I think was so great about at at its inception was the way that it really did, as trite or as trivial as you might think it is, it really did help to broker a kind of conversation about not only sex, but sexuality in a way that we had never seen on TV before. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to know, do you feel like they are still kind of breaking that? Because I'm not as well acquainted, I should say, with, you know, I've seen bits and bobs and I've seen episodes here and there, but do you feel like they're still kind of approaching that territory of having those kinds of conversations about this phase now that they're in in their lives? I feel like they're trying to, but it doesn't feel uh, organic to me. Like the first one did. It doesn't feel... (laughs) Mm. Like what really like what me and my girlfriends talk about has not been like it doesn't <laughs> right. feel mimicked on that show like the way we talk right. about that stuff. 
I yeah. even feel like the first season of And Just Like That tried a little harder to do that. And this season, it's just more about it's so caught up in character that the the situations are suffering a little bit because there's mm. some oh, that's the, an the ideas note. are a little thinner um, in favor of giving the characters stuff to do, but they're the ideas are not as they're just not as interesting. Like a subplot of of uh, you know Carrie not wanting to read a podcast ad, and then you know it's that's not an episode long issue. You know what I mean? That's yeah. like a thing that and would be so solved relatable in and twenty such minutes. Such a relatable plot point, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yes, uh, interesting. Here's the question, also, too, is to comedians: How are you finding the Che of it all? <laughs> <laughs> I find the Che of it. Well, I do feel they did better with Che's character this year, trying to give Che like. Some actual jokes? <laughs> no, definitely not the actual jokes. Like, they did not improve the jokes. But they did improve Che's inner life this yes, year. For sure. Oh, good. Um, yeah. However, Che still does not make sense as a human being. I mean, Che has the <laughs> weirdest yeah. reactions and way of being in a relationship I, I have ever. Like, it, it, it's very it, narcissistic. Does- che is a narcissist. Yeah, it does. It does feel like they're trying to retcon. They're trying to retcon the character a little bit, which is, you know, what that's fair to to establish a character and then get deeper into the character to make more sense of their actions. Sure, that makes sense. It's the the problem, like comedically, yes, they're better off not trying to do material um, because the there was one episode was the famous, (laughs) um, you know, I took an Uber from my. kitchen to the bedroom um that's my time <laughs> but uh i think it's like, the, I, in I the words that, of Tr- and in the words of trinity the tuck taylor where are the jokes <laughs> yeah. where yeah are the jokes i think the next ep- I mean, the very uh, next episode it was just the end of a set like thank you very much that's and i'm like that's time. that's probably smarter to go that way well and also the only person i think who should be allowed to say that they engage in something called a comedy concert is Paul F. Tompkins. And I think we can agree because he's bringing <laughs> the comedy and he's bringing, comedy concert. Concert. Comedy and he's bringing the song stylings. We know this. We know this about you, Paul. You can listen, you can stick the landing on a joke and you can also have great pitch. And that's important. <laughs> if you're going to do a comedy concert, that's, that's important. I'm, I'm going to ask this one last thing and then we must go because you've been overly generous with your time. The real question is Carrie, Samantha, Miranda or Charlotte, which Sex in the City girl are you? Well, I'm a. Unfortunately, I'm a Carrie. I listen. I think we we support you in this. Don't even worry. Like <laughs> we're here for you. <laughs> but I'm also Team Kim in the IRL. Like oh yeah, you know mm. what I'm saying. But like as yeah. far as like Carrie's neuroses and and sort of like second guessing. I mean, I, I'm OG Carrie. Yes. Okay. okay. And then Paul, where do you where do you where do you lay in the fold? I think I would have to be a Miranda, right? I, I Hell don't. Yeah, I you're think a Miranda. That's definitely the closest to me. And the thing that's not, I don't want to like. Well, she, it, it, Miranda's you know. a voice of reason, typically. Yes. Well, that's the thing mm-hmm. is Miranda's also, I think, even OG, more than OG. Carrie, even more than Carrie, is an audience surrogate. She's a, just yes. like a normal One, person. Yes. Has yes, a yes. regular job, you know, even though it's like a, a high status job, it's it's a job. And yes. Um, 
but and that's why it was in the first season and they're kind of they're doing a little better with her i think in the second season first of all she gets to be funny again which she really wasn't yeah, in the first the season because the actress herself is funny yeah, Cynthia, and she got Cynthia to have, Nixon is very funny. So she got to have yeah. funnier situations, actual jokes in this season, um, and is also being a little bit more rational. At one of the things that was so tough about trying to incorporate, uh, you know, uh, something of the storyline of the of the of the actor, and also a situation that, uh, and also a storyline that might appeal to people that they hadn't appealed to yet, was that they made Miranda seem so irrational lost. and yeah. like lost and kind yeah. of humorless and kind of humorless. humorless. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so I think that they're doing a better job with her this, this season for sure. Um, which I think is important because I do think she stands in for a lot of people in, in, in the audience. Yes. I wholeheartedly agree. And I would like to stand in now for every member of this audience and saying, I, it means the world that you made the time. It really does. <laughs> Honestly, like I know you're, pe- listen, even if what you want to do instead of this was laying on the couch, the fact that you chose this <laughs> over that m- means the world. I really appreciate the fact that you made time. It was so nice t- chatting with you both. It was so oh, nice. It was a delight. I Thank you for having it. us. I enjoyed yeah, it. I, I, so feel really I feel honored that we were even considered <laughs> as guests. No, oh my God. I like, when, when Mimi was like, do you like, do you want me to ask Paul and Janie? I was like, <laughs> would they do it? I was so like, I couldn't believe it. Now l- l- let people know because you two have a gorgeous podcast called Stay F Homekins. Yes, because it started during quarantine. But now we, since we do it from our home, it's still relevant. Even though <laughs> Listen, we don't right. have to stay home. Yeah, we you can't are, catch us on that. But we, we still do it at home. We are staying home. Yeah. And it is at Stay F Homekins, our podcast where you can learn if you want to sign up for the And Just Like That recaps, yeah. there's a way to do that. But the so. podcast is Jamie and I, we call it our after dinner podcast. And once a month we have uh, we have dinner and then afterwards we have a couple drinks and we record just a stream of consciousness conversation between the two of us and yeah. talk about whatever. Uh. Um, and uh, it's still fun. We're still it's really still enjoying fun. doing People it. People still yeah. there with us and we really enjoy it. So hopefully you'll subscribe. Well, because you both, well, because you both are delightful to listen to. That's why. <laughs> That's why people like it. I mean, now let people know. So we know about the podcast, and now we must give the socials because you know, in case Paul doesn't have enough people following him on Twitter to add on to the millions <laughs> of people that he already, oh, but he already do uh, are on the bandwagon anymore. Are you not a Twitterer? I stopped at the beginning of the year. Um, uh, my account is still up there. Every once in a while, I look and see that people are still. <laughs> I'm still getting new followers. <laughs> Which is very strange to me. Um, yeah. But maybe but, Twitter um, will get re-bought and re-, re like the ship will get righted on Twitter. Listen, <laughs> great news, everyone. I don't know, as of this recording, but two days ago, Mark Zuckerberg lost, launched Threads. That's right. So I guess we're all going to be fucking Thread I'm Girls now. I don't, know. Too, I don't know. But yeah. I mean, people jumped on it right away. And I have to say, I got a little of that old school Twitter feeling. Um, oh. like yesterday, uh, getting on it and seeing, you know, because one of the great things is that it, it you can, you can, uh, ask it to import your, uh, the people you're following from, uh, Instagram. Instagram. And oh. so you, then you already have people like there. The you base. don't have to search for people. Right. Right. Um, right. And I yeah, I got, it was, 
I don't know. It felt kind of hopeful. Enjoy it while you can, because eventually an algorithm and an advertising stream yeah. is going to get in the way of the yeah, whole. It'll thing. get ruined. Uh, yeah, and of course they're they're mining all the data, and they you know they <laughs> they're mining data you haven't even considered. Um, yeah. But hey, that's the world we're living in, right, gang? Yeah, <laughs> they're going to minority report us. Yeah, they really are sure. going to minority report us for sure. So the- but for buying even- things, we're not buying enough things. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> uh, well, but in the interest of, of having people follow you regardless, where do you want people to follow you? What are these handles? Where can people find you? Well, um, I'm on Instagram and threads and my handle is at Lebanese Looker and I invite <laughs> you to follow. Both Paul and I have a Substack where you can subscribe and we update everyone on what we're doing and everything we're thinking and being where we're being and everything. And you can subscribe to our Substack, which is called Weekend Water at weekendwater.substack.com. And we will keep you up to date on everything. There you go. Oh, that's perfect. And for me, I'm at PF Tompkins. I use the same handle on everything. So good. if you want to find me on something, use that. And uh, if I'm if you don't find it, then I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to quote Carrie Bradshaw, and just like that, we've come to the end. Mm. Thank you, Janie and Paul. This was a blast. I really appreciate it. So much fun. Thank you for having us. Oh, they were a delight. I loved them. Thank you, Paul and Janie, for doing that. That was such a treat. Everyone, be sure to follow follow their socials. Go find their podcast. Go find their Substack. And listen. If you liked this show, which I hope you do, I want you to tell all your friends and your family. I want you to tell family members you've not spoken to in 20 years over bitter money disputes about the show. I don't care who it is. I want you to spread the good word. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It makes a huge difference for the old algorithms of the show on podcast platforms. Leave a five-star review. Even if you, how about this? Even if you hate the show, leave five stars and then in the comment, say why you hate it. I don't care. I really just want those five stars. Now, I want to say, in keeping with our wonderful guests who are providing their pop culture pulls, I thought I would share a little something that I've been obsessing over. Now, this is, I think this still constitutes the sort of pop culture zeitgeist umbrella. If you have not read Mike Nichols' A Life by Mark Harris, it is a wonderful biography about an incredible virtuoso film director, stage director. He, of course, directed movies like, oh my God, um, The Graduate and Working Girl and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And he's an amazing person, of course, had a legendary comedic relation, you know, partnership with Elaine May. It's a fabulous read. I really recommend it. So please go find Mike Nichols A Life by Mark Harris. It's a joy. It's a pleasure. I bulldoze through it. It's such a great book. To everyone listening at home, thank you for doing so. I really appreciate it. Until next time, my babes, we will see you then. Bye-bye.